Networking drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Dylan Napier. For over 10 years, Dylan has been the drummer for Grammy-nominated artist Margot Price. From performing at the O2 in London and Red Rocks, to performing on multiple TV shows including Saturday Night Live, Margot's success in recent years within the industry has afforded Dylan many unique and bucket list opportunities, with many more to come. You can hear Dylan on Margot's 2016 record, Midwest Farmer's Daughter, as well as the recording All-American Made from 2017 that features Willie Nelson on one track. Dylan's years of experience cutting his teeth with a variety of country and Americana artists in Nashville come through strong on these recordings. If you want to support what we do here along the right side of the homepage on the Working Drummer website, you can find buttons for PayPal and Patreon, and any donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. You can follow us on social media, and if you want to be featured on Instagram, post pictures and videos of your gigs using the hashtag Working Drummer. We love seeing what you are all up to. Finally, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube now as well. If YouTube is your choice for streaming audio, every couple weeks we will be putting out a group of 10 episodes for you to visit for the first time or for revisiting the Working Drummer Podcast archives. Please subscribe to this YouTube channel, and leaving a rating and review on any or all of these platforms is very helpful for us. Before we get started, let's do our bi-monthly check-in on Arjuna Contreras as he makes the move from Texas to Nashville. So quick disclaimer, I did not hit the record button when we first started talking. I was uh, excited to be able to catch back up with RJ and say hello to him and get back on track with our two-week check-in with RJ. So we missed the first half, but just as a quick synopsis of what we were talking about before I hit the record button was he's on a um, 34-date tour um, with the Reverend Horton Heat, and so he's in the middle of that about 11 days in, and um, that's kind of where we're at, and we'll pick up with the conversation right here. I've been making it a point this tour, um, and I've done this to a certain extent in the past, but I've been really uh, locked in on walking every day, like preferably like if I can walk from the hotel, like I'm, I'm on Google maps all the time at this point. Like I'm trying to see, Oh, okay. Can I walk? How far is the walk between the hotel and the venue? Oh, it's 1.2 miles. Okay. I can do that. And then like, maybe I'll walk back to the hotel after sound check. So, so now I got like basically like two and a half miles in of walking throughout the day, you know, and then maybe I'll Uber back or, you know, have the runner come pick me up from the hotel to go back to the show at night. But I've been making walking a serious part of what I've been doing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm using my Fitbit and my Apple Watch to try to, you know, make it a little bit more of a game in terms of seeing how many steps I can hit every day. And, you know, trying to trying to get to the hotel um, gym, although that hasn't happened as much, but I, I need to get, like, more weight training into what I'm doing. So I have been trying to really be religious about the eating side of it and the exercise side. Also, I've been uh, using a, an app that, that I've had for a long time, but have been now really trying to, to lock in on it. Um, 
and headspace app, you know, working on like, uh, just like mindful, uh, meditation, you know, to try to, yeah. try to be more present, you know? Um, so that, that's kind of like how I've been trying to manage, like just staying healthy and, you know, from a body and mind standpoint. And I feel better. I honestly feel better so far this first like week and a half of tour you know i started right after you know right on new year's day with all this stuff like before i was out on the tour obviously um you know it's just like you know everyone makes those kind of resolutions and right uh, around that time and you know and i've, I've made about let me see i've made those resolutions about 25 times in a row <laughs> in my life you know and, and you're only 22 to make this year. <laughs> yeah i know right can you believe it <laughs> um and so I'm trying to make them stick this year. And and honestly, I feel like I have, I mean, I've seen a little bit of progress as far as like, you know, uh, I've lost a little bit of weight already. That's great. But like, um, but I definitely feel, feel like I have more energy and mm-hmm. people, you know, on the tour have mentioned to me that I've seen like more upbeat and, you know, more, of, uh, more energetic. So I, I feel like that's helped a lot. And I'm trying to keep that going because like, um, you know, I, it's, there's going to be a ton of touring this year. And, um, uh, I actually, I don't know if you remember that I, you know, I, I did those fill in dates with junior Brown when he was with us on the December right, tour. Right. I think I mentioned, I think I mentioned that on the podcast. Well, yes. you know, so their drummer had some pretty serious, uh, surgery on one of his arms, you know, to work on the nerves, and so he's in a recovery mode for that arm and then is getting the other arm done when the, when the one arm heals. So they've booked me for some work with them during the time that I'm in downtime from Reverend Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, like, we finished this tour that we're on on uh, February 23rd. And then that's a Saturday. And then for a few days, I'm going to be like diligently learning junior Brown's like full, like headlining show because that Thursday, right after that Saturday, I'm flying back out here to California to meet up with them to do like a four or five day run out here in Southern California. And, um, yeah. And then finally I'll be back in Nashville after that for a while. I'm excited about it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and yeah. motivated. Well, cool, man. It's good to hear your voice again and and get caught up and, and we'll, we'll get this we'll get this rolling and we'll check back in with you in a couple of weeks and travel safe, man, and, and keep on keep on walking. We'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll do. It's been great to talk to you, brother. All right, see you, RJ. Bye. All right, bye bye. Drumming is too strenuous to ignore what you're sitting on. And if you've experienced pain or fatigue in your back, pelvis, or shoulders, the Motion Pro Throne is your solution. As a drummer, you put a lot of thought into your equipment, and no piece of gear is more important to the longevity of your career and the quality of your playing than your drum throne. Developed and researched by a chiropractor and a group of professional drummers, the Motion Pro Throne features a split seat which allows the tailbone to hang without compressing the spine, combined with spring suspension which creates reciprocating motion between the two sides of the pelvis. How did you feel when you stood up from the kit after your last gig? Go to motionpro.org and see what their spinal glide technology can do for you. Motion Pro Drum Thrones, supporting you from the bottom up. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Dylan Napier. Immediately, uh, we're jumping on a cruise ship this weekend and doing uh, the Outlaw Country Cruise. Wow. Uh, Is that legal? 
Uh, well, it's on the sea, so international think, waters. Yeah, it's international <laughs> waters, so uh, kind of you know drifting around like pirates out there. Um, so we're doing that next week. Um, that immediately goes into uh, flying out to L.A. Margo got nominated for a Grammy, so we're yes. doing a couple uh, like a Spotify party and like those kind of you know mm-hmm. those kind of things out there. Um, and uh, finishing up her new record. Uh, been working on that a little bit. And, um, uh, geez, just some one-offs and stuff. She's pregnant right now, so we have a good stretch of time that we're off, actually. I've got, okay. like, for the first time in probably three years of steady touring, we actually get an allotted three or four months <laughs> off. Right. Uh, which is exciting um, and terrifying in certain ways, because I'm like, wow, I'm... Not used to yeah. unpacking my suitcase. Right, right. right. <laughs> so, Hanging your toiletry bag in yeah, your own house yeah. like it's a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. you know, um, got the drum set up in my basement. Just got a new place. So, I, Oh, great. Yeah. Just got a new place and getting that all situated for some home recording and practicing and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of excited to... to, to see where that road goes, right, you right. know? When you've got a young family. I've got an 11-year-old son, yeah, yeah. my wife, yep. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, so, that's, that's good. I mean, it's yeah. good to, to be home and to be present and Absolutely. all those things. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Great. You know? How would you describe Margot's music? Um, goodness, it's a, it's a um, melting pot of, uh, you know, a lot of people root it in country, but... Um, there's branches off of that tree that go into rock and roll, um, some funky territory, some psychedelic territory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we venture into, uh, you know, some, sometimes she's got like 10 minute jams that we'll, we'll get into this thing at the end of a tune and, and, you know, see where it leads, you yeah. know? Um, so, you know, it's, that's a lot of different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I know, a lot of people would just say Americana, I guess, because that's so broad, right? But, right. And I know there's, there's marketing challenges because of this, this, the negative connotation that comes along with the word country music. Mm-hmm. That a lot of, but then when you get people to the table in the seats, you know, at mm-hmm. the venue, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is great. I love this. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it, there's always labels that kind of dictate sometimes how people will present, you know, again, market music, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. There's, um, there's, you know, within country, um, especially now with country meaning so many different things. Right. Yeah. And when, when when somebody says, Oh, I love country music that opens up a complete can of worms. Well, hang on. Do you like Hank Williams or do you like Carrie Underwood? (laughs) Cause that's all country. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, for Margo, she doesn't get radio play, you know, which is fine. Um, but at the same sense, we have traditionalist fans that'll come out maybe like your good old boy, you know? Uh, and we'll completely weird him out with some of the stuff that we go into, you know? So, so there's, um, I don't know. I think we've created our own little world. I would like to think. Okay. Yeah. I I was listening to the, uh, Midwest farmer's daughter, the Mm. first record. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first track is like six minutes, six minutes long. Right. I was like, wait a minute. 
this this is still going. Yeah. It's going. This is wow, this is she great. released that as a single too. In the UK they have uh I guess the BBC has a thing where it's like, you know, we can't play anything on the radio that's not whatever, three thirty or mm-hmm. four minutes, maybe even three minutes, I can't remember. And uh they did this whole thing where they're editing, editing, editing you know, trying to take out the Dobro solo or whatever, you know, just uh-huh. trying to trim this fat to get this song within Right time restraints for radio and it just didn't happen for that so um, i think we got it down to 345 and they yeah. i think they played it but i don't know <laughs> i'm not sure but there's still some awards that she got you know in the in england yeah for like americana music mm-hmm. and country and all that stuff and, yeah they they and, love her there you know yeah. they, they really uh um they're just you know, vibrant music fans and really yeah. listeners. You can play crowds over there. seems like, uh, you know, you can play to a stadium and, and they're all listening, man. You can hear a pin drop, you know? Right, right. It seems like American music, music that's rooted in American, whether it's jazz or bluegrass or country, you know, that Americana thing. I think sometimes we just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But when you go overseas, you realize how invested people are. Sure. It's you know fascinating I mean? to them. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause here, I mean, we're, uh, we're surrounded by it. Right. You know, American mm-hmm. music in general. I right. mean, you can throw right. a rock in here, American music, right? Right, right? right. At a club, but over there, um, there's not as many clubs, right? There's not as many, uh, I mean, you know, there's really cool pockets of music in, mm-hmm. in London and everything, you mm-hmm. know, there's, lots of stuff that we don't get over here, you know, mm-hmm. um, travel through Scotland and hear some great Celtic stuff, you know, that you just can't find here, you know? That's so, true. and, and that's fascinating to, to us. Right. But over there, that's Good like, point. that's like, you know, background music to them. Right. Right. Um, there's a new record. You guys working on an, another, a third record? For yeah. Her? Yes. Currently. Yes. Okay. I don't know how much I can talk about it, but, okay. um, uh, yeah, we went out to LA last month and did some stuff. Um, there's some great players on it. Um, yeah. Not not this not the touring band, but okay. Um, I'm on a couple tracks. Nice. Um, yeah. And you played on the tracks for the the twenty the uh, Midwest Farmer's Daughter and All American Made. Yeah. The one. Yeah, I played on both of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounded great, man. Thanks, I listened bud. to both of those. I really appreciate really cool. that. And I, I want to ask about some of those and some of the things that was involved in that. Mm-hmm. But while we're kind of on the country music thing, because yes. what Margot's music is is rooted in a more traditional style. Mm-hmm. Um, Compared to, quote unquote, more modern country, mm-hmm. you know, that that 80 BPM groove that we're hearing on yeah. pop country radio every single day. So going back to traditional grooves and uh, the elements that make them more interesting and fun than I think a lot of young drummers realize for example, there's a beautiful swing element to a country shuffle mm-hmm. that when you find it, it's just as fun as playing a bebop tune or whatever. Sure, absolutely. Or a Texas shuffle or something like that. Yeah. I've discovered in my life that a really great train beat just feeds my soul. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I also discovered that 
I took those things for granted as a young player. And then when I was on the gig or on the session and was asked to play certain types of things that were quote unquote traditional country grooves, I was unprepared. Sure. And I wanted to ask you about that. Did you have any personal discoveries? And we'll get into your background as, as well, but are, were, did you have any personal discoveries about approaching this music and say, oh, wow, that, this, this is maybe a groove that requires a little bit more attention? Um, absolutely. You know, there's a precision within um, a sort of shuffle and train beats that if you're not executing it uh, properly, it's going to come across pretty sloppy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you really have to uh, listen back to some of the old rock and roll stuff that swings and feels great um, and some of that old country stuff. And a lot of that stuff was done without a click track, right. you know? Right. So it's just a human emotion kind of flowing uh -huh. through it, right? And you're, you're guiding the music without... Um, bringing too much attention, you know what I mean? Like the train beat can just be behind the song and, and maybe your average listener doesn't even notice it. You know what I mean? Mm. It's not that interesting per se to some okay, listeners, right. you know right. what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, but it does guide along the tune and yeah. you have to find, uh, I feel like to be able to do peaks and valleys within the train beat, right? If you're going, sure, if you're sure. going up to the chorus, you know, right how hard you're hitting and all that stuff needs to be in consideration for, you know, you, you can still create shape. If the producer says, Hey, listen, we're going to do brushes on this. Mm -hmm. Here's your setup. And you've got a kick and a snare drum and a couple mics. And sure. You got to go. How much that. dynamics can you do within that? Right. You know, but to not look at that and say, well, what can I do with this? There is sure. Or, you know, some drummers would might. Hey, that's boring, you know, mm -hmm, or that's, mm -hmm. you know, if, a, if another drummer's listening to me, he's not going to think I'm that, technically proficient sure, enough that to thing. get out of this, you that know? Thing, right. um, uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. For me, it's always all about the two and the four, man. If you're in, accentuating those twos and fours, uh, you know, with a hi-hat and maybe a tambourine on your hi-hat and mm -hmm. then, you know, the snare is just kind of underneath that. Yeah, you kind of there's a groove. There's right. something there, you know, right. and right. people can dance to that. And right. that's really the main goal. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> as long as you can make the people dance. dancing, not yes. the drummers listening. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. There was there was a groove early, uh, with the band I used to play with. And, and, and I'm trying to remember who it might have been Lonnie Wilson on mm -hmm. the track. And it was just the it was like a two beat situation doom but doom but doom but and the hi-hat was a one e and two e and yeah totally man i i had to work on the nuances of that to make it feel right so it just didn't was like i mean it just to swing it to give it a groove the way lonnie gave it i never got to that level but I think it was just being aware of the simplicity and respecting the in-between, the thing that the mojo that that Lonnie brought to that groove. That's my favorite kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, subtly intricate. Yes. 
I, I think that's what I want to kind of pull from this because I, I feel like we, fortunately we do have young listeners and uh, I've been seeing uh, some incredibly wonderful young players and in recent years that I've now that I've been back in Nashville more, but I've also seen players that I feel like they're spending a lot of time working on certain things and not concentrating on the things that's going to get them work. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Too many chops and not enough. Yeah. It's you like know, you can basics. play this six tuplet thing around the kit, but can you, can you play just a 16th note pattern on the snare drum? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many times are you going to need that fill? You know, mm-hmm. that really cool feel that you're working on. I yeah. mean, yeah. um, which I, I, you know, obviously I love that kind of stuff too. Right. That, you know, if you got right. a mind blowing fill mm-hmm. in, in the right place, then mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. But really 90, five, 95% of drumming is going to be taking care of the song in my opinion. And, you know, just, right. you know, like you're saying 16th note stuff, you know what I mean? Right. Right. If you're well, comfortable with that, then everything else will fall into place later. People that I've spoken with and friends that teach and say they've, and you know, when you teach, you 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 learn yourself. Absolutely. But I, but I think what it is 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 even when you're teaching young people, is that when you you're going back to the rudiments and you're going back to the stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't looked at this in years, or uh, my my paradiddle isn't as strong as it should be. I've been playing for twenty years. How can I not play? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And how getting back to that to, to with the student helps you as absolutely well, you yeah know? yeah um i've recently started doing drum lessons with a younger uh seven-year-old and nice. um yeah like just the you know starting out with the basics and you know relearning it yourself through you know through that right. process is absolutely great you know um i like going back to some of the stuff that i started with like beatles and zeppelin and you know mm-hmm. those kind of things and and you know, after kind of playing professionally now for close to 20 years, you know, going back to that stuff and going, wow, well, okay. Re-examining that. Right. With fresh ears. Yeah. With more mature ears. Mm-hmm. With, yeah. That perspective. Yeah. Well, uh, that's what I was going to ask you now that you have some time off is, you know, you're, you've got the kit set up. Do you have any intentional goals? Um, not much, you know, I, I play around with a lot of, um, local artists and stuff. So I'll, you know, um, I'm excited to, to make some music with friends around town and, um, yeah, I, I kind of do want to get some, some more home recording going on. Nice. You know, but, Um, but, but like practice, are you doing anything intentionally practice room wise? Like if you, when you sit down now, um, you know, uh, yeah, trying trying to hone in on um, certain things that are out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Um, trying to get more of a, a jazz uh, feel on certain things because I've never really had the time or, uh, you know, the, the, the gig that incorporates the jazz thing. And, right. I, and that fascinates me right now because I come from like a rock and roll background so those are kind of you know sure. polar opposites in some ways but the jazz thing is really interesting to me and i want to kind of figure some of that kind of stuff out right now <laughs> same here I, I, and I, I feel like knowing some of your influences 
those guys, their idols were jazz players. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. we we all go back to those those players that mm-hmm. that were really inspirational to us. And then when you find out who their inspiration was, so I I'm, I imagine that it's a natural progression. Like who was Bonham listening to? You know? Yeah. Who was you know Ringo was a swing and swing and player. Absolutely, well, I mean, sorry, is a swing and swing and player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Charlie Watts, he was originally a jazz drummer too. A lot of those guys, yeah, they were doing jazz and they went over to rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There is an element to these players that we love, Bonham's feel, that comes from his the, what influence he had mm-hmm. from jazz. Absolutely, yeah. So allowing that to permeate our playing mm-hmm. when we're on the gig, playing those rock grooves, those backbeat grooves. Yeah. That time you spend listening and practicing jazz will come through i think it will yeah absolutely and some cool um you know fills and stuff like that that you need that you know can can speak uh through the music you know that that honestly if you're just locked into a straight rock beat you might never uh get into that territory you might never find those colors to paint with you know and and with Margot's gig, I'm and you guys are doing improvisational mm-hmm. moments. I mm-hmm. guess, yeah. That being in tune with that is is good. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, having yeah. big ears for that. And like I said, I've just I've never, um, you know, I've only done like one or two jazz gigs, and I felt completely lost the whole time. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, man, I need to work on this. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah because yeah. I mean, you know, that's obviously a part of uh, being a working drummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is having a, you know, a bag of tricks and having, having, um, you know, a, a great deal of influences and things that you can reach for, um, you know, reference on a number of different tracks, you know? Right. So right, right, right. I feel like, you know, I've, I've had a past in rock and roll and then kind of played some funk stuff and played, you know, I've, sure. I've, I've got, you know, blues and all of that stuff is kind of, you know, in the bag. But yeah. yeah, right now with the time off, I don't have jazz in my bag and I really want yeah. to start learning that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Figuring out some of that kind of thing. Good. Yeah. That's, I mean, just to have that time to do that. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, tell me about like your history with drums, your background. Um, goodness. Uh, well, uh, was born in LA. My dad was a guitar player. He was kind of playing in the eighties rock scene and, mm-hmm. you know, sunset strip bands. And, uh, I guess when I was about three years old, my uncle got me, I was always beating on the couch and stuff with sticks. Mm-hmm. And uncle got me a little drum kit, Sesame street thing or whatever. And I broke it in three days. <laughs> um, so my dad got his drummer at the time to kind of run around to some pawn shops and, and, uh, piece together a little, you know, little kit. And, um, so I started kind of playing with my dad, you know, he'd play guitar in the room with me and we, you know, do Beatles songs and whatever and play some of his, I was into his band, you know, trying to learn his band songs. Um, did that for a while. I was, you know, um, coming home from school, practicing to whatever I was into at the time, you know, um, starting little, you know little bands like, you know, the grunge thing was going on. So yeah. we, were, we were, you know, we thought Nirvana was cool. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, going through that, uh, high school playing in bands there. Um, there was this 
club in Antioch. It was in a strip mall. And uh, when did you move to Nashville? Uh, Ninety-eight. Okay. Yeah. So around uh, two thousand, probably started playing out here. Um, little punk clubs and stuff like that with our band, and we thought that was really cool. Um, and there was touring bands coming through every now and then, and uh, we were always so fascinated by that. You know, like a just four guys in a van, mm-hmm. you know, rolling around. It's like, man, that, that looks like it's fun. I yeah. wonder if we can buy a van. <laughs> so we bought a van. <laughs> you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we bought a van. Uh, you know, we're, we're in high school. So on the weekends and stuff, we're going down to Huntsville or Atlanta and, mm-hmm. you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, did you, did you play in school? I mean, were you part of the band or anything? No, like that? Okay. no, I wasn't. I did was, you have a teacher? No, no. self-taught. Okay. Yep. Yep. I was just always interested in, in playing with my friends mm-hmm. and, you know, sure. after school we would get together and that was the thing, you know, go right. over to my buddy's garage and hash it out, man. You know, yeah. just, um, try and write some songs or, you know, try and figure out, you know, this tune or that tune and, and, um, just kind of having fun with it. You right. Know? Right. What music's supposed to be. Exactly. Um, and like I said, yeah, we didn't really have any goals. This, this is my high school band. We didn't really have any, you know, grand, you know, allure of success or, you know, anything like that. We're just getting in the van and going to play some, some tunes and right. having a good time with that. Right. Um, and, uh, we're playing at that club in Antioch, uh, summer after I graduated high school. And uh, opening up for a band that's got a good buzz going on the internet and everything, and they have a major label rep out, and we're opening for them. And, uh, you know, major label guy comes over to our merch table and gives us his card. Hey, you know, can you guys give me a call on Monday? Blah, blah, blah. Guy from Island Def Jam. And uh, we're like, yeah, I guess so. You know, sure. Is this fake? You know, we call, you know, I call the guy on Monday. Hey, you know. Good, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd love to do a development deal with you guys and get you guys in the studio and blah, 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 blah. So we fall into this little development deal with a major label. Um, I was going to go to school for audio engineering, actually. I was going to go to SAE. So I canned that. I was like, hey, Dad, I don't think I need your money for this. I think I'm just going to follow this thing yeah, through. Yeah. And uh, it just, you know, kind of got real immediately you know i kind of was like wow well you know they were sending us i don't know 200 300 bucks a month for allowance kind of thing and i was still living at my mom and dad's house and i'm like this is great yeah you know so i don't have to i can quit my job (laughs) well and your dad is a musician yeah yeah he was a musician he was also on the radio side of things okay so um at this point, he had he had kind of given up the the musician thing, and he was fully okay. doing radio. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we just lucked into a deal right away, you know, nice. um, and that kind of made it real for me. Honestly, I started kind of th- I'm like, okay, well, this is this is a path now, you know, and I need to secure this and make sure that I'm doing everything to to make this work because mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to making sandwiches or, you know, or whatever the plan. I didn't really have a plan B, you know, from right. there. Right. So, um, it, can you make the, the, the transition from that to 
the connection to to Margot's gig. So how long did that last? Yeah, that lasted probably about five years. Um, my wife gets pregnant uh, right around the same time a band breaks up. So I'm kind of having a mental breakdown of sorts. Uh, and I'm kind of thinking, you know, I need to figure out how to become a, a professional paid drummer, you know, mm -hmm. just a, you know, drummer for hire. I need to figure this out. Um, around that time, um, some buddies were, had just signed a deal with Atlantic and they were looking for a touring drummer and they had, they called me and I'm thinking, great. Yeah. I'm going to go in. This is my, you know, this will, I'll just be the hired gun guy here. Got to do that. So I did that for a couple years. Um, kind of got worn out on, on that. Um, was it, there was no audition just, Hey, are you available? And then you were, yeah, they, or was there? they had seen me play with my previous band and, and there, I, I don't know if it was kind of an audition, but, um, I got it. But the first thing they said was, can you play to a click? And I had never done that live. Gotcha. So that kind of, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, of oh, course, sure. of course I can. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, and that was great for me because I did need, you know, those rough edges. Yeah. Kind of sanded out. Um, and, uh, so that, that was great for me. Um, start, you know, got comfortable with the click on that thing. And, um, eventually kind of came to, you know, got tired of being on the road, got tired of being in the van and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I just need to go back to Nashville and right. work in town, you know, and take my, I got two year old kid, you know, yeah. that I've hardly seen. And, you know, I need to figure something else out. Sure. So I come back to town, um, kind of playing in bands around here and, uh, end up doing a lot of sessions over at this place called the bomb shelter. And, uh, around that time, Margo's band is recording there and, uh, they're looking for, I don't know. I think they had some drummers in, but it wasn't really working. And so the engineer was like, Hey, you should, you know, try my buddy Dylan. He's been coming over and doing a bunch of stuff. Nice. And, uh, you know, so, so, uh, they show, they, they show, um, Margo's husband, picture of me on MySpace or whatever. And he goes, Oh man, I know that guy. We worked together randomly at a, a bread and company sandwich shop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple years prior. Oh, I know him, you know? Yeah. Let's get him over here. So, um, so I go over there and we tracked four or five songs and it was just off to the races from there. This is 2007, probably maybe 2008, I think. Okay. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, after, after I did that session, uh, Hey, can you do a show? Yeah, I'll do a show. Want to do a tour? Sure. I'll do a tour, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and just kind of playing around at the clubs around here and, and running around the Southeast with her and, and, um, and, uh, that whole thing just obviously snowballed into what it is now. Right, right, right. So man, it's been, I didn't realize it's been so from 2008, so looking over 10 years mm -hmm. you know, or coming upon over 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about recording with her. 
you guys were at Sun Studio for mm-hmm. the first record. Yes. And you recorded, you were recording back in 2008. Was there any other things released with her? Yeah. With her old band, Buffalo Clover, there's a couple of things that okay. came out. Yeah. Okay. Um, that you worked on, that you mm-hmm. recorded with? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how was there anything uh, different about the uh, the record from 2016, uh, Midwest Farmer's Daughter? Well, that was... Um, they had broke the band up, the Buffalo Clover thing. They broke that up and they were like, you know, we're, this is kind of our last shot. Like, you know, we're going to go all in on the Margot solo thing, kind of down more of a country thing. Mm-hmm. So Buffalo Clover was more of a rock and roll soul kind of vibe. We're going to go all in on this. Um, we're going to grab the guys that we want. Um, so I came along for that and we kind of had some other guys come in uh, that had not previously really been involved with us that much um and she had scraped together enough money to get you know three days at sun studio wow and we were going in there at i think after the tours stopped was about maybe 10 o'clock at night uh you know load in and maybe track till probably two in the morning sometimes three in the morning you know so and trying to knock out, I don't know, 10 or 12 songs in three days, yeah. all tracked live, no headphones, uh, wow. because I guess the way that Sam Phillips had it, he would just have a monitor in this live room kind of pumping it back. And I've got my in-ears in because I'm doing some click track stuff. And so the bass player doesn't have an amp, can't hear the bass player. <laughs> all I can hear is guitar amp. And I'm just laying it down, hoping it's working in the control room and just either getting the thumbs up from the producer engineer guy yeah, or, you know, or let's try one more, you know, but, um, just blindly going at it and really, you know, she didn't have anything going on, nothing, no record deal or, you know, no prospects of any sort, you know, we were just making music in front of it. And some of those songs actually we'd been playing for three or four years I was gonna already ask. In, yeah. in clubs here, you know, so it was cool to finally record them. Um, that's, uh, what is that? January, uh, geez, January, 2015. And, uh, so around that time, uh, I got a job at the Minel warehouse and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to do this warehouse gig and then I'll tour with Margo on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, good enough for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, put, put a, you know, put all this, you know, reaching for success, you know, of any sort behind sure. me, just, just going to have fun playing music on the weekends and I'll have my day job. And did you still feel like a hired gun with the situation? <sighs> uh, yeah, in a way, but you know, I'd been with her for so long that I felt like I was a part of it, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, so, you know, record deal or not, or what, you know, booking agent or not, or whatever, you know, I'm in this, I'm going to do this, whatever. I'll roll around in the SUV, you know, mm-hmm. and set up, set up my drums at the brewery or the, you know, the bar or whatever we're yeah. playing. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, comes around, we're playing around town and, uh, you know, she's like, man, Jack, you know, Jack White found out about us and he's like really into this. And she had been shot down by like almost every label in town already with that record that we recorded. 
And, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, man, Jack's really into it. I think they're going to do something. I think this is going to work. And so I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. You know, but I got um, my job at the warehouse. Yeah. Okay. I've still got my job at the warehouse. <laughs> and honestly, man, I mean, you know, that happens. We're, we're rolling along, uh, record comes out. We're doing, you know, we're doing stuff. I mean, we did Saturday night live on Saturday night. I was back at the warehouse on Monday morning. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm still working at the warehouse. Wow. That's true. You know, because I mean, there wasn't a, a ton of money there and there wasn't a ton of, of dates really, you yep. know, but it just started rolling from there. Um, eventually was able to when there was too many tour dates to where I couldn't ask off. I'm like, yeah, all right. I think I'm safe now. I think I'm going to go ahead and let this warehouse gig go mm-hmm. and go all in. And so that's been the last three years now. Nice. <laughs> nice. No, that's, that's a really important point is that you can be on Saturday Saturday night live, but with an artist or with a band that still isn't paying all the bills. Right. Sure. Or, or, you know, I mean, for me with a, a child at home, you kind of have to be right. really sure, be really safe, you yeah. know? Um, and I just, yeah, I was just like, you know what? I mean, I've got the time to be at the warehouse and... Mm-hmm. You sure, know, why not? Why not, yeah. Just creating security, creating, uh, playing the role of father, husband, drummer. Yes. All the things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. And when they get older, they start making money. I borrowed five bucks from my 16 year old yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Totally. Those yeah. 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 <laughs> this episode is brought to you by drumsellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free And the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. When you were recording, was was there anything, any instruction from the producer about, listen, Dylan, I want you to do this. Mm -hmm. Can you do this? Uh, uh, Okay. It wasn't my original intent, but I'll Mm -hmm. try that and then discover, oh, wow, what a great idea. Yeah. Did you ever have those moments in either of those recordings or any of the recordings before with Um, a producer or a band member or somebody giving a certain amount of direction your way? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, on um, one particular track on uh, All American Made, I think I started off with uh, 16th note hi-hats on a track and the producer kind of comes in he's got a reference track for... uh, this Al Green tune. He's like, man, I'm thinking more like this. And it's more just quarter note hi hats, you know? So mm-hmm. kind of stripping it back, um, which I kind of learned from honestly, uh, to not start so big, you know, maybe, uh, start with less and yeah. then add more later if it needs it, as opposed to starting with everything and trying to take away, Mm-hmm. I feel like it's easier. Here's the groove. If it really needs extra, mm-hmm. you know, we can do that later, but it's, seems like it's harder to take something away. If you're, if you're filling up so much space, sure, you know, sure. Let the song, let the singer, let the melody. Yeah. Let it breathe. Be, be the, uh, the guide mm-hmm. for what the drums will do. Yeah. And don't distract from that. You know, don't distract from the tune, you know? Um, Let me ask you about 
tuning or setup in the studio. Mm -hmm. As far as, was there anything special that you do or that you've done in the studio compared to live or maybe some new discoveries with that? Um, goodness. Well, it depends on the studio, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, for the last record, we had one drum set set up in a booth and then one in the live room. And so you've got two totally different beasts there, you know, um, with a, with a booth, you probably want to keep the drums pretty dead, you know? So you're going to do, um, I don't know. I've been digging these hydraulic heads lately because mm. they're just, you know, I I've, I used to do a bunch of gaff tape and bandanas and mm-hmm. gels and I tried everything on, you know, just to get a drum to where it's just the tone and no overtones, you know. Um, but with these hydraulic things, I don't know. I'm just get I'm kind of getting that without having to put anything on it. Right. But anyway, uh, with that particular producer in that particular room, yeah, he wanted the drum sound, drum sound to be really dead in the booth, very 60s, 70s thing. Um, and then in the live room, wide open. So, you know, you can, you got to think two different ways and depending on which tune we're doing, yeah, which one's, you know, suitable sure. for the track. Sure. Yeah. I'm thinking about the cymbal sounds that we're hearing a lot mm-hmm. and seeing in the shops and everything like that. And you said you worked at the Minel warehouse. Yeah. Um, what's, what's going on with all this? What's your thoughts on that? I don't, well, um, I'm with Sabian now. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. Um, but I don't, as far as like the sounds that what's, I, I'm seeing a lot of people play. Mm-hmm. On on pop gigs and rock gigs, um, I don't know. I just just kind of want to get your take on on that as 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 we keep moving and the 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 the, the drum set is evolving over time. The way guitar sounds evolve, the yeah. way you know styles of music evolves. Mm-hmm. We're at this really interesting point where. I feel like we're coming kind of full circle with um, organic sounds, mm-hmm. yeah. um, really earth earthy tones. Absolutely. Uh, you talk about hydraulic heads. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the, the dry, the dark symbols, you know, a lot of that stuff. And, yeah. You know, even yeah. the look of some of those symbols, they're really just like, they look like old pawn shop symbols, you right, know. Right, and right. that's uh, from a marketing standpoint, I think... Um, the cooler it looks, the more it'll sell. Maybe I'm not sure, but you know, yeah, the, like optics these, are important. Yeah, you know, sometimes it, it seems like it. Like I can see like a a really gross looking symbol, and I'm like, man, I bet that sounds pretty cool. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I, I was I was doing a gig at Mercy Lounge, and there was a guy playing as well, and he had this beautiful ride, and it was just it sounded glorious, but it was also very dark and like had just a just a very earthy look about it was and so when you as a drummer you see it you're like i bet that sounds cool and it did sound cool and i asked him about it later he goes yeah i love this thing he goes but i have to tell you um i was playing with a group or an artist or somebody and they're like please don't play that symbol on stage because it just looks terrible (laughs) 
And he's like, but this is my symbol. <laughs> like, this is this is my sound. He goes, I don't care. It just looks like, are you, I'm like, are you serious? Really? He, goes, oh. he goes, yeah. He goes, I don't work with that person. But it was right. just, he was just like, well, that's kind of silly. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, you know, whatever you can get a, a sound from that you're looking for, you know, I mean, there's like a Chris Daddy Dave. He, he was having Sabian send him back all the crack symbols you know, um, anything that was getting returned to Sabian that was all screwed up. He was, he was taking and, uh, you know, making stacks or whatever he's, you know, mm-hmm. putting big hi-hats together and stuff. And that stuff sounds cool to me. It's, it's, it's not right for everything, no. but you know, yeah. but you can, um, you can find some cool stuff. I just, I'm kind of curious to know kind of what you think of, of, the state of drumming right now. And, and what made me think of this is the cymbal sounds that we have this, uh, and in an era of, um, what's the program that a lot of people are using? Um, I know songwriters use, and a lot of producers to say, man, these, these, if you, if you mix it right, it sounds just like a real drummer, but it's not. That's scary. It is very scary, <laughs> and and I feel like you know there was a time in in the early '80s when everyone was like, "Oh no, well the drummers are the, the, we don't need them anymore. We've got drum machines." Well, yeah. obviously, in hindsight, we're like, "No, obviously you do need a, a drummer," and that sound went away. And so now you have something that's a more powerful thing that's creating a, a realistic sound, mm-hmm. but I still think to a point. Because I have I have guitar players that say I can do it, but I still don't know how to program a, or make sure that I'm using the right drum fill or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's something only a drummer would know. And and there's drummers that that work on those programs as well because they know sure. we know how that stuff is composed. Absolutely, yeah. There's a there's um, it's definitely going in that direction. If you don't have the uh, the pads and stuff going on, then yeah, you know. But, you know, I blow some sound guys' minds, I feel like, because every time they, you know, do you need any power back here? And I don't use any of that stuff. I don't have um, any drum machines or pads or anything going on. And they're like, wow, no power. You're, you know, yeah. or, or we'll play festivals sometimes where I might be the only real drum set, you know, like Amazing. everybody else has got the, the computer you know, if there's right, like right. some the pads pop pop act or something that's got yeah, got the pads or got yeah. you know got everything programmed ready to roll, and and they don't even have a drummer. Um, so it's going in that direction in certain genres, but I mean, you're never ever going to uh, lose the feeling you get from going into a club and hearing a live drummer. Man, that's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. You know and and, you know, you can program all night and day, but when you feel the human emotion coming off a player and, mm-hmm. you know, a cool, spontaneous thing happens musically, mm-hmm. you can't program that. Right. You know, I feel like as and we've talked about this and the on this podcast about the importance of understanding how to program it SPDT or S. You know the pads, yeah. SPD, rolling. SX or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. sorry. Obviously, I have not taken the time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, with you. But I also 
talked to drummers like Fred Eltringham. And I love Fred. Yeah. That when we talk about loops in the studio, mm-hmm. he's creating loops with acoustic instruments. Yes. And then people are taking those quote-unquote samples that they just recorded, mm-hmm. and they're flying them where they need to go. That's way cooler to me. And I'm speaking to uh, some friends and, and a guy who's been on the podcast before. They've got this new junk hat that's a like acoustic-type thing that sounds like a tricked-out snare drum. Cool. Or it can be used in a variety of ways, but it is a totally analog-type thing. I can dig it. Yeah. I was talking to Matt Chamberlain um, one time, and he was telling me about, uh, you know, how he did all that Fiona Apple stuff, like the mm-hmm. cool... Um, Win the Pawn? Yeah, that, that record. Like Desert Island and, records, um, dude. Yeah, man. Uh, so, you know, that's that's like a Roland V drum kit that he would, you know, he's playing the beats, and that's kind of the bed, and then putting, you know, drums on top of that, you know? So mm-hmm. he's creating the sample. Yes, I like that. You know, yeah. that, that's cool to me. Yeah. If you're going to go that route. Right. I, again, I, I think that this is just a part of the conversation that I think everyone is having. Like, what's going on here? I don't think that there's any one thing that's dominating the landscape as drummers, as, as we produce, as we work in this environment. Mm-hmm. Understanding how to work in electronics. I think is an important part of maybe adding to your toolbox. Sure. Um, but not losing sight of the roots of what we do mm-hmm. is important. Absolutely. Because we have a certain skill set, even as drummers approaching a program situation, that comes from our time behind the freaking drum set absolutely man yeah Yeah. i mean i i I do some songwriting at the house and stuff and more times than not i will just throw in a drum loop in there just for just for a demo but uh programming drums will and you know from a songwriter's perspective will show you what a drum set or you know a player what the track needs and what, what a player should be doing for yeah. the song. Right. Yeah. And then when you go back to the drum set, you take a little bit of that knowledge and, you know, maybe some guys that play with tracks are probably trying to kind of mimic that, uh-huh. that thing a lot of times or trying to cop a, a, a digital thing, you know, electronic sure, drum beat sure. um, on a real drum kit. And, um, you know, that can be cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself maybe programming the wrong loop so that when you say, you know what, this what this song needs is real drums. So when you get ready to cut it, I'll hook you up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, tell me about your setup with Margo in the electron. Like, I know you say there's no electronics, but I mean, is there, are you running a click live? I do. I've got a, I've got a really, I've, I've got a, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got an old iPhone four that I've been using for about five years. That's got, uh, the metronome on it. And yeah. I just keep it in airplane mode and I charge that thing and I throw my in-ears into that and I sit it right beside me and turn it off when I'm done and throw it in the stick bag. And sure. That, that thing's been working for me for years. Yeah, man. I, and, uh, I, dude, I, as we've gone through our phones yeah, and I've, you know, like 
the, 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 I'm with T-Mobile and they'll be like, well, yeah, we've got this phone. You can sell it online or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to hold on to that. I've got, I've got some metronome apps on yeah. there and <laughs> live BPM. And yeah, I mean, I use an iPad for that. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. With Marco's gig, we only do about maybe, I don't know, maybe 50% on click or something. There's a lot of songs that aren't on click or maybe I can start. I like that, that you can start it and then turn it off, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess you could do with, with anything if you got the foot switch or whatever. But I haven't messed around with all that stuff. I'm going back to the record, All American Made. Willie Nelson was on a track. Yeah. Did you get a chance to meet him? Uh, no, I didn't. We we the track was already done before he he did it in his studio in Austin. Okay. okay. And we've done a couple tours with him, man. I, I actually haven't had a chance to meet him yet. He okay. usually, uh, dude, like right before he's on stage, his bus is pulling up, and then right. he gets on stage, and then he gets off stage, and he's back in the bus, and the bus is pulling away. So people are still applauding the last yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still out there that. going nuts, and he's out of there, man. So which he's you know he's a. Um, He's met a couple of the guys from my band. I know he's a very sweet dude. So I, I hear mean, that the opportunity's there, but um, I've just never been in the right place at the right time. But you got to hang out with Matt Chamberlain. So yes, I got to got to hang out with Matt Chamberlain. Recently, spent some time with James Gatson too. Actually, who was a big big guy for me. Right, right. Um, and uh, very shortly, I'll get into this. But you know, like you start to kind of build up these uh, negative things about your playing, right? Like maybe something that you're, you know, just all internal BS, mm-hmm. right? Sure, sure. Um, and if it ever happens, you know, like, well, for this particular thing, James Gatson had been listening to some of the stuff that we were doing. He's like, man, I really like your feel. I really, you know, all this stuff. And man, all of those negative feelings just washed away. Like, you know, anytime that I've been playing since then, you know, if I feel like I'm not doing something correctly, I'll put a positive spin on it, you know? Hey, James Katzen said I'm, I got a good feel, you know? I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? I, one of the questions I had was um, just reconnecting with the pocket mm-hmm. when you're feeling out of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess this falls into that camp, you know? Because I think we have... Good days and bad days. We have those yes. days where you're just you're just on it, or maybe you have a period of time where you're just in a funk, absolutely, and not finding something. Mm-hmm. Billy Ward said something to me, and it keeps coming back to me: be the best you can be on your worst days. I like that, and uh, and oftentimes we're the only ones that notice this kind mm-hmm. of thing. And you, you know, come off the stage, oh man, I sucked. And the guitar player's like, dude, you sounded great. I thought that was your best show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, or in the opposite is true. Man, I slammed it. It's like, dude, what happened to that what third song? You? What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Nailed it. But so you have that the James Gadsden thing where you're just kind of like, yeah, I get myself back on track. But mm-hmm. is there anything else that you feel like? Get you back on the rails if you're having maybe a funky gig, a funky mix. Um, probably reminding myself why I began playing music to begin with. Yeah, what and is that? and you know that's the passion for music itself. You know, mm-hmm. and creating and and being within this art form. 
mm-hmm. you know, being a part of creating art, mm. you know, and uh, there's, there's, you know, you can, you can beat yourself up over mistakes, but some of those mistakes can be beautiful. <laughs> you know, some, you can, you can find something in a mistake that might lead you down a road where it's like, well, was it really a mistake? Cause you know, if you're, if you're in the studio and you track something, you know, well, I didn't mean to do it that way, but it actually works, you yeah, know, right. Accidentally. Um, but you know, getting back to the question, I try and remind myself that, you know, to stay positive and to not beat yourself up too much over, mm-hmm. over little things. If you're in a funk, maybe take a couple of weeks away from the drums, you know, maybe, maybe step outside of that or start listening to, you know, a new kind of music that you're not familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was in a funk a couple of years back and I started kind of listening to some Afrobeat stuff and like oh, some, cool. you know, uh, digging deeper into like just world music and kind of catching those rhythms. And those were like inspiring to me out of nowhere, you know, yeah. um, come back to the drum kit and I've kind of got a little bit of a new perspective right. and it's exciting again. Right. You know, it sounds like kind of with meditation as mm-hmm. well, there's that practice of just simply trying to clear your mind. And one of the things that, that they teach you to do is that when you, your mind starts to wander and you start thinking about, oh, I gotta balance the checkbook. You, you, you just, you say, okay, nope. Put that, put that aside. Refocus, but don't get mad at yourself when you start losing concentration. Right. Gently let that go and refocus on, you know, and, and mm-hmm. for meditation on on just breathing and just and clearing your mind and not letting because we're we're so caught up with our thoughts that interfere with the ability to think clearly to have to feel positive Mm -hmm. about ourselves and it sounds like that's what you're doing you're like if something happens you make a mistake especially in in the midst of a song midst midst of a performance you let it go gotta let it go absolutely don't beat yourself up over it yeah yeah um learn from it Sure. Move on. You know? Yeah. Serenity yeah. now. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Cause I mean, any, any, any little inkling of negativity is going to start to eat away with you. And that thing can grow like a, like a cancer, you know? And you yeah. gotta, you gotta stay positive and you gotta stay focused and, you know, stay on the, stay on the bright side of things. Well, if I did this wrong, I did this right. you know, and that's good. Mm-hmm. So what I think I did wrong, let's examine that a little bit, but you know, not, not beat yourself up over I, it. I always find that if, if there's a mistake that's made once, it's like, well, that probably won't happen again, mm-hmm. you know, if it's something, but if, it, if, if it's reoccurring, then it just requires some attention. Absolutely. And can, yeah. And like you said, you're like, well, I want to sit down and, and spend some time on, on maybe some things that need some attention. Mm-hmm. I'll try and do that. Make a note of it after a gig. And it's like, Oh, you know what? That groove didn't feel quite right. Or I want to find a, a, a better way to come out of that chorus. Mm-hmm. I'll make a note in my phone, which is great. And then yeah. sit next time I have a chance to sit down in the practice room, 
take care of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, some things you're on a gig and, and, uh, you're expected to nail something and you're, it's a little bit out of your comfort zone and you get the little bit of anxiety about, yeah. Oh, this part's coming up and I hope I can do this correctly. And well, you know, mm. you should probably spend more time with it so that when those kind of things do come up, you're fluent, you're comfortable. Yeah. You've done it before. I, I you just, know what it's all about. I, I find that you, that was, wasn't always enough. Like I would work out, work out, work out, do all this, you know, make sure that that fill or that whatever, that complex part was second nature in the practice room. But there is a division, a stark difference between on my own drum set in my cave mm -hmm. compared to on stage. Eyes on you. Yes. And the eyes on you, like from your fellow musicians yes to me that's the that's where the pressure i feel comes <laughs> from um which is i know it's completely made up um uh, but the, but at the same time it's almost again the meditation thing it's like here comes that big fill don't screw it up and i'm just gonna lower my shoulders and i'm gonna make sure that my breathing is steady sure those things right alone get me through that fill sure without especially if i'm playing to a click or whatever that's been helpful. And that, I don't know, I'm just sharing that. I know this I is, like you're it. the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I like but it. But this is a recent yeah. discovery for me. Yeah, sure. Not overthinking it too much, yeah. right? You yeah. know, I mean, once you start to overthink anything, it's Ugh. it's going to lose its flavor. It's going to lose its, uh, you right. know, right. the essence of what it's supposed to be, which is supposed to be fluent, just natural energy, just, you know, yeah, uh, just a little moment of music, you know, it's right. not, you're, you're not, you know. Don't and, take it too seriously. <laughs> but, I, but I love the fact that you're talking about creating. Mm -hmm. You're talking about not just performing, mm -hmm. but you're creating art. You're creating mm -hmm. music. And so in that perspective, then what happens? Because music is art in real time. Mm -hmm. It's here and it's gone. Sure. Live music especially. Yeah. So if your performance is maybe not what you planned... Mm -hmm. to say mm -hmm. it still is what it is absolutely yeah and some of those mistakes could be happy things but it, but it's 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 this it's from the spirit in which it's delivered absolutely yeah and i mean if you can touch someone with your music or influence mm -hmm. you know best case scenario a kid's in the front row and he's watching you and you know yeah. and he, he decides he wants to be a drummer that's what it's all about man right. spreading spreading the seed you know right, and right, and right. uh and um you know or just dude listening to the radio and you know a track comes on it feels great and you know you're you're you know sharing that that art form with the world you know is there anything that you do before you go into a session and before you go into a gig kind of get your head in the right space? Uh, a lot of stretching. I'll, I'll stretch for at least 30 minutes. I'm, I'm in my mid thirties now. So back pains and things like that are coming around, but uh, yeah. yeah, lots of stretching. Um, you know, just, yeah, deep breaths and getting into a, a comfortable place, comfortable mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, any like warm up things or anything no. like that? Nope. Nope. No pads, nothing. Yeah. yeah. I'm all, I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing it the right way or not, but <laughs> that, that's no, what no. works for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think for a lot of people, including myself, I think sometimes the pad thing is part mental. 
It's not is, always yeah. physical. Sure. Yeah. So everything, everyone has their approach, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah, if the performance is there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've just never, never been a pad guy. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. It works. Yeah. It's cool. I don't know. Working for me. Yeah. <laughs> is there much input from band members throughout what's 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 the dynamic there as far as um sharing ideas with each other oh wide open yeah wide open door um we're constantly uh discussing uh music and and what we want to do with it and what we like about our own thing or something else as well um you know we're we're not critiquing, but, um, we can, we can share information, share ideas with one another. Hey, I think it'd be cool. You know, Mm -hmm. me and my bass player are constantly talking about, uh, feels and pocket stuff or like licks, you know, Uh I play guitar too. And I, you know, so, so I can kind of translate, um, some of that stuff. And, you know, if my guitar player thinks that I should do something different, I'll definitely give it a whirl, you know, you got to be open-minded in this business and be able to, it's a working relationship. So you, you know, you can't, you can't shut anything down, Mm -hmm. you know, if, Mm -hmm. if if everything is worth a try, you know? Um, and yeah, when we're in the studio or, or at a rehearsal or learning new tunes, we're constantly learning new tunes. Um, with the Margot thing, we've got probably at least 80 songs in our repertoire, wow. you know, I mean, only two records, but man, she'll, she'll do a different cover every night or new songs or, you know, this or that. So we're constantly in new territory, night in, night out, different set lists every night, that sort of thing. So, you know, you're, um, looking for perfection, but kind of, um, in the middle of an adventure, it seems like in a lot of ways, you know, like maybe you're trying to lock it down, but in the same way you're, you're looking for, for more than, Mm -hmm. than just, you know, solidifying. I wrote something new, something. Yeah. You know, it's like, even if, even if we're playing the, the track the same way from the album three months after that, it's going to be a little different. We're going to keep on, you know, uh, screwing with it a little bit. I love that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about this experience over the last 10 years that has really affected your playing that you can point to and say, man, this, 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 I play like this now. I'm really proud of the way it has affected my, my playing. Mm -hmm. I would say one person that definitely turned me around was JJ Johnson. We did some dates with Tedeschi trucks band and, um, watching JJ and uh, Tyler um, Greenwell uh, yeah really transformed my my mind my headspace around drumming man I went and got new cymbals and you know after talking to him just kind (laughs) of you know a couple different snares and and it really affected my feel and my pocket and I, I just went home and I started really trying to perfect what I, what I saw from his playing because otherwise I, you know, like I said, I come from the rock and roll side of things and he's very, I mean, he's got a little rock and roll in him, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, um, way more fluent, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so from, 
I think that definitely changed changed my playing. I just I was looking at the history with the band and what Margo's been and you guys have been doing over the last especially three, four years. Mm-hmm. Thinking about some of the opportunities that have been afforded you to play in all these different environments and mm-hmm. play with other bands and uh, on the road, you know, yeah. and like, what's the takeaway for that situation? It's, it's still kind of surreal in a lot of ways, but you know, um, how do you learn from that? You know, I mean, you, you're, you're telling me now. Oh, I mean, there's constant inspiration out there, you know, with any, with anything really, but you know, um, we're lucky to jump around to some festivals and get, get a good look at, you know, a lot of the stuff that's happening in the world, really. Um, and, uh, just taking in as much music as I possibly can and watching as much music as I possibly can and, and kind of grabbing little bits and pieces of inspiration from this and that and this and that. And, you know, um, man, it's just, it's really exciting and still surreal to, to me personally, because, you know, we were, like I said, playing in bars for so long that honestly to get on the bigger stages and to not, you know, not be kicked off, <laughs> you know, no, is it okay for us to be here? Yeah. Uh, to be accepted into the, uh, uh, I don't know, the professional world, I guess you could say, um, it's just truly, you know, heartwarming and that's awesome. Yeah. Surreal. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's one of the coolest places you played? Man, uh, you know, Red Rocks, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the Gorge in Seattle is beautiful. Um, but honestly, we did, last month we did, or I'm sorry, last year we did uh, the O2 with Little Big Town and Amy Lou Harris. And that was really is cool. Is that in London? Yeah, that's in okay. London. That's where Zeppelin got back together, actually, oh did their reunion thing. And uh, that one stands out to me, you know, to, yeah. to rock the O2, man, in London. Yeah. That, wow. That was pretty neat. That's awesome. That's awesome. So there, there's a lot of different, obviously, TV things that you guys have done. Yeah. You mentioned Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. um, Jimmy Fallon, mm-hmm. um, Conan, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Tell us about like what what was the day like Saturday Night Live? Uh, well, Saturday Night Live is actually the calmest of any of them because you kind of show up on uh, I think Thursday. Uh, and you get a, you get a run through, you know, you, you run through the stuff. That's kind of the sound check on Thursday. And then Saturday they, uh, run the show once at around like, I don't know, 10 o'clock or something. They run the full show actually and film it just in case for like a syndication, if there's any screw ups on the live show. So by the time you've, you're actually filming it, you've already, you know, been on the stage and, and, you know, theoretically done the show two or three times now mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you're comfortable. Yeah. Um, everything's sounding exactly the way you want it to, you know? Um, and yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, in the middle of all these, these comedy bits and everything like that, you right. know, it's right. like, it's a, it's a lighthearted vibe, you nice. know? Um, for the, uh, you know, the other TV shows, obviously, uh, a lot of times you have to be there at 
eight o'clock in the morning or, right. you know, and uh, start doing sound check. And then you're done by, I don't know, usually they film at like, I don't you know, three or four in the afternoon. You're done by like five o'clock, you yeah. know? Um, mm. So that's a little different. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're, they're, you're doing sound checks there and are you using house engineers? Do you guys have people with you? Yeah, we'll usually have like uh, some crew guys, but yeah, they they always have their own front yeah. of house uh, sound engineer thing going on, you know. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, you're. I saw a, a picture also of you guys playing at uh, Cumberland Caverns. Oh man, yeah, that, that place is cool. Like a really cool place. Have you ever been over there? No, it's pretty I neat. Yeah, yeah, it's like in a in a freaking cave, man. Yeah, three three hundred feet below. <laughs> it's really I, really cold when i see places like that and i see friends playing i'm like oh well i'll just i'm sure i'll probably just play there at some point in time and it's just it just never comes it up. could happen though yeah they're do, <laughs> they do they do shows over there, over there. there what do they do that, the, the bluegrass unlimited or underground or whatever it's called there there's um one of the questions for the again we had you on standby for our 200th episode. And one of the questions that Zach and I had come up with, and uh, and I pulled some of those out again, and I was like, you know what? Since you're going to be here, let, I want to ask you some of those things. Sure. Um, is there, can you identify that mojo that makes a, a good player great? Like, can you, can you help identify that when you see somebody play, you're like, Hey, he's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. But then you go and you see somebody else and you're like, okay, that's great. Well, obviously this is just my opinion. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, for me, pocket and restraint. Um, I always like a drummer that can play the song. Um, that's dynamically speaking, you know, uh, doing what the song needs and, and not just what you want to do, you know, not, not being selfish about it, being a team player and, uh, you know, lifting a guitar solo or, you know, being a, being the backbone for, you know, the singer to have the energy that they need to, to convey the tune and feel comfortable, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's kind of your role. And I feel like when I see drummers that, that can express that, um, and still have their own personality within Mm -hmm. that, um, that to me is a great drummer. Um, I mean, licks and, and chops and stuff like that can, you know, make my eyes get wide, but it doesn't touch my heart. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hit me. So, I mean, that's, yeah, it can be interesting to me, but it, I don't really like, I'm not going to say that, you know, if you're doing a 10 minute drum solo that you're, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't say that that's a great drummer to me. That's just, sure. you know, I think it's a, a very important point though. You like what somebody is doing, but their personality is coming through, mm-hmm. and, you know? Yeah. Yeah, maintaining that integrity, mm-hmm. even in the simplest. Setup. Yeah, because I mean, dude, that's that's tougher than just ripping, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, just going through a bunch of fills and stuff. And, yeah. I mean, if you're, 
you know, a drummer, you can do that all day long, you know, but, but, but the guys that, that can do that and don't do that Mm -hmm. to me is like, that's the sweet spot. Right. Or just, you know, one crazy fill in the show. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, again, kind of like the electronics. We're in this weird spot now because we've got YouTube that is showcasing people in these short clips where you can just binge out on, and it's fun to go down that rabbit hole and watch these players do amazing things Mm -hmm. and then turn around and pack your stuff up and go play with other musicians in front of a live audience. And those are completely two different things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, depending on which, what kind of group you're in, I don't know how much of that's going to translate into a working situation. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's always differences, but yeah, if you're on a prog rock band or something, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Then go nuts. But I mean, in Nashville, a lot of times, you know, I had a friend told me, you know, we were talking one day and he's like, man, I don't think Keith Moon would work in Nashville. And, you know, if he was here today, I don't yeah. think he would have a gig, you know, and right, I was like, right. you might be right. It is interesting. And, and, and again, I think it's important to note that, that none of these approaches are wrong. No, nothing's you know, wrong. Right. I mean, it, when you, when you go back just to the whole concept of like, we're creating something, this yeah. is, this is art. This is, this is what motivates you. Mm-hmm. And if I see the video of somebody playing like crazy 30 seconds with their feet, that doesn't touch my heart, like you say. Will I watch it? Heck yeah, I'll watch it. Yeah. That cool. You know, that that's that's really cool. What will I work on? What it will be what because I th- I think at the end of the day, what touches your heart with music and drums will come out in your playing, in your personality. And the musicians that are like minded will notice that in you and recommend you or hire you or it sounds like you're in that situation. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's definitely what I want to get hired for is a feel, you -hmm. know? Um, I think every, every drummer is an individual. There is no way you could put two guys I mean, you could do like a lab rat thing, right? Where you got two guys, make them listen to the same exact music for however many years, give them the same gear, and then make them play on the same song. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. going to be two totally. totally different takes. Amazing. Yeah. You know? You're right. Um, and so I don't, you know, for, for, for me, uh, I concentrate on my feel, the energy, my pocket. And pretty much, you know, that's, you know, and the vibe of, of, you know, the music and the person that I am really to be around, you know, cause more times than not, I get hired for, you know, the hang, uh, and sure. you know, uh, yeah. cause you don't want to be on a bus with somebody that's a great drummer, but, a you know, a real douchebag, you right, know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you can be a good person and a good drummer, you're going to, you're going to get work. Well, and this is another question, actually, from Zach. Uh, But this goes along with what you're saying. Uh, How do you know when to leave a gig or what are deal breakers for you uh, or the one thing you can't tolerate? Um, For me, if I take it more serious than the leader, whether the band leader or the artist, let's say you know, due to 
alcoholism or any sort of other vice, if, if, uh, you know, they're, they're jeopardizing their own career and I'm there trying to be a professional. Guilty uh, by association. That's a deal breaker for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not there to waste anybody's time and I would rather someone not waste mine either, you know? Right. Cause yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of try and see a trajectory and, you know, if you've been on the road with someone for a couple of years and it's going downhill, mm-hmm. it might be time to get off. Right. Right. You know? Right. No, I hear you. Well, man, thanks so much for doing this. Thank it's you, been man. Awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. Of course, to, man. To thank you for us. having me. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. I want to thank Dylan for coming over and uh, sharing his story with us. It was really nice to meet him and hang out. As you noticed, he was our stand-in for our 200th episode. We wanted a guest that hadn't been on the show before. And um, when Chris McHugh came through, we decided to go with Chris. But we wanted to thank Dylan for being there, kind of waiting in the wings, and just being really open to the idea of being ready to go. And I'm glad that we were able to dedicate an episode to him and um, and he- hear more about what's going on with him and Margot. So... Um, also, check out the 200th episode. Again, we've remastered that. We've split it up into two parts. You can find that just on the regular podcast, or you can go to YouTube, where we have many uh, different videos that we're posting, but also the video of the roundtable, and then in part two, the interview with Chris McHugh with all the bells and whistles and a little bit better sound. So please check that out. Comment, subscribe to YouTube and uh, and to iTunes, if you will. That's uh, super helpful. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview, and we appreciate everyone listening and participating in all the different formats that we have. So thank you so much, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.